I was recently asked why I put so much time and effort into writing and speaking about New Zealand's national security. The same reason you should, I replied. We owe it to our children, nieces, nephews and grandchildren to leave a better, safer country. That starts with a conversation about national security strategy. Because to not do that is indefensible, New Zealand. Welcome back, and to regular listeners, uh, apologies for the big gap between the last episode and this one. Don't break your microphone during a a COVID lockdown. Last episode, I introduced the concept of net national security deficit and a set of five interlocking principles. I discussed the need to defend New Zealanders rather than just thinking about territorial defence and provided a thumbnail sketch of the scale of capabilities that an armed neutral country would need as a minimum in order to keep aggressors at arm's length. This episode focuses on defending against direct attack. A significant part of this discussion relates to the sort of hybrid threats that were introduced in episode 8, Attacking New Zealand, a red team view. This episode breaks the multi-domain challenge into three parts. First, overt kinetic attack. That's someone firing missiles at the country, bombing it, blockading sea and air lanes, and ultimately looking to put boots on the ground in New Zealand. The second part is overt digital attack on our networks in order to collapse command and control, intelligence, surveillance, and essentials of life such as the power grid and hospital systems. The third part is covert kinetic attack, harbours and port infrastructure, strategic storage and distribution facilities such as fuel tanks and uh, pipelines, water systems, that sort of thing. These attacks can be carried out by both special forces and fifth columnists. Now you don't have to be a follower of Sun Tzu to know that the best victories are the ones you don't have to fight for. New Zealand's primary goal must be self-reliance in all essentials, followed by a defensive capability that makes the price of an attack too high. In the previous episode, I discussed Israel. That country provides us a useful guide. New Zealand needs air supremacy and sea parity as a minimum out to where conventional short to medium range cruise missiles can be launched towards our mainland. And those missiles might be launched from aircraft, ships or submarines. That distance is between 220 and 650 kilometres. A ground launched long range missile has a range of over 1500 kilometres. When you consider that the Chatham Islands is roughly 840 kilometres from the mainland, you see why we need to be able to project and sustain force some distance. New Zealand also needs at least parity and ideally superiority in the cyber battle space domain to defeat attacks on our systems and deliver effects on the systems of an aggressor. Let's just take a moment to consider the shifting technological focus. The problem of defending New Zealand from conventional attack isn't much different to the defence of Britain in World War II. But just think how different the Battle of Britain would have been if rockets and missiles etc. had existed then. At the end of World War II, We saw a glimpse of the new era with the introduction by Germany of the V1 and V2 rockets. So, as much as I decry the abolition of New Zealand's air combat force by Helen Clark's Fifth Labour government, we would be foolish to wish for large formations of whatever the next generation of Spitfires and Hurricanes will be. There is still a role for crewed fighters for the next 20 to 30 years, but what we need to focus on in the close defence of New Zealand is the procurement of capabilities which contribute to multi-domain warfare in real time. Now this can be imagined as a Rubik's Cube. On one axis is the domain, that is space, air, surface, subsurface and cyber. The second axis is the level of warfare, either strategic, operational, tactical and perhaps hybrid. The third axis is about effects. 
and targeting doctrine is useful here. Four effect levels of find, fix, finish and exploit can be broken down as follows. In find effects, locate, confirm, detect. In the fix effects, observe, determine, fix. In the finish effects, neutralize, disrupt, destroy, interdict, clear, capture, seize, secure. And in the exploit effects, exploit, retain, pursue, harass, promote, undermine, degrade, encourage, follow, support. This framework takes us to a mix of assets that can operate in multiple domains in a layered approach. By this, I mean that as a threat force gets closer to New Zealand, the effects delivered adapt seamlessly. It will include a significant number of autonomous and uncrewed systems in all physical domains, and the AI to integrate massive amounts of data in those domains. I believe our maritime subsurface domain could operate almost entirely with uncrewed systems developed locally. One example is the potential involvement of the Australian Defence Force in the Orca project. Orca is an extra-large unmanned undersea vehicle developed by Boeing and Huntington Ingalls Industries for the US Navy. The unmanned submarine has a range of about 6,500 nautical miles and a wide range of capabilities under development. But subs, whether crewed or not, are very detectable. And New Zealand can do better through innovation. I've recently had a fascinating discussion with a Kiwi entrepreneur who already makes autonomous surface vessels. He believes the future of underwater stealth lies in mimetics, the science of imitating nature. Imagine a vessel that moved through the water like a manta ray rather than propeller or water jet propulsion. As he points out, what's the enemy going to do? Kill every marine organism in the sea? Of course, an aggressor who has taken the trouble to come as far as New Zealand will also bring uncrewed undersea capabilities. While I have some areas of agreement with those who wish to ban autonomous lethal systems, I believe that thinking should apply only to engaging humans. If an autonomous subsurface vessel can determine through its senses that no humans are present on an enemy autonomous vessel, it should be able to engage it without a human in or on the loop. Missiles will be at the core of New Zealand's defence, and the Army will have finally accepted that this is the correct future role for the artillery, as the infantry takes on larger vehicle-mounted mortars for its own mobile force protection, and towed field guns are handed over to museums. The effects of a proper missile doctrine involves the ability to deliver from any platform in any physical domain. That means air, sea and land-based launching systems, and the latter a combo of fixed and mobile sites. It includes our own air defence, rocket and missile system. The missile defence system is operated in combination with armed, uncrewed aerial systems, naval and land-based attack helicopters. The latter is a more flexible option than fast jet fighters and can be relocated quickly by ship, larger aircraft or its own means. They require much less infrastructure to operate from. This style of defence points to the need for a sovereign missile programme in New Zealand. Missiles, warheads and fuel need to be sustainable locally. The huge gap in current defence needs must be plugged, that is harbour defences and naval control of shipping. Autonomous systems, more clearance divers and a host of other capabilities that haven't been thought about since World War II must be brought online. And this is tied also to the potentially damaging effect of the fifth column. It's naive to think that everyone who has New Zealand citizenship, permanent residence or a visa to be in the country is solely loyal to us. 
Over a million of us were born overseas. Some of these people will carry out acts of sabotage or spying for an aggressor. And I've written a separate piece just a couple of years ago on this called The Enemy Within, which you can find on unclass.com. Now all of this needs to be read in conjunction with the orders of battle that I talked about in the previous episodes, regards to warships, aircraft, etc. In the next episode, I'm going to be talking about how we would defend New Zealand on land once an attacker has established themselves and the integrity of the Defence Force has been broken. Thanks for listening. Well, that's it for this episode of Indefensible New Zealand. If you found it useful, please subscribe and share it with your friends. For more information on New Zealand's national security or to send in questions for the series, go to my website, unclas.com. (laughs) 